Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 402. Today is February 6, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, hey, today I got a really quick episode for you, but there's some interesting things going on technically in the stock market. I wanted to point that out and give you something to watch for in the coming days, and perhaps, you know, maybe it'll take weeks to unfold. But we saw a definite shift late last week when the jobs report came out. It came out extremely strong, well above estimates. And by the way, I always love when the media reports that something is way above or below what the experts had predicted. I always think that if these guys were such experts, they wouldn't get things wrong so much. But again, that's all to the point of no one can predict the future. But you should be cautious of experts that think they can. In any case, when the jobs report came out way stronger than the experts were anticipating, and you combine that with the fact that we still have increasing wage inflation, and that's really what's driving the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates and to create all these layoffs, because, you know, as I talked about infinitum last year, we knew that inflation was peaking because things like the price of copper and many other commodities all peaked in March of 2022. We knew that that would filter through the system and get through the supply chain. It always does. And what's really sticky is wage inflation. And that's not only in this period we're going on now, but that's what always happens. That was a big problem during the 70s when we had hyperinflation. You had a really severe escalating spiral where prices went up and then workers demanded more wages and they got raises and then that drove prices up further because there was more money in the system. And, you know, it went on for a decade or more. Now, a lot of changes in the labor force from back then till today because, you know, over these last 50 years, the U.S. has become not only much more of a service economy, you know, a lot of those manufacturing jobs from the 1970s are gone. But along with those losses in manufacturing jobs was also a much lower decrease in the percentage of workers that are covered by union. And to the fact that we do have unions, they're mostly service sector unions, a lot of which are at the state or federal level. You know, think of things like teachers unions. And collectively, they just don't have as much bargaining power as the old manufacturing unions did. So that is one thing that has kept a lid on inflation from rising as much as it did back in the 70s because a lot of the labor contracts in the 70s had automatic wage increases that were tied to inflation. And that's not as common today. But in any case, even without all that protection from labor unions, because the demographics have shifted so much because we have such a lack of workers and the fact that the labor force participation rate is so low, we have well over 100 million people that are choosing not to work. That's 60-some, maybe 64% of the labor force is sitting out. That's what's causing wages to increase. And those factors are not only demographic, but also societal. And they're not likely to change anytime soon. So this wage inflation is very sticky. And it's why, in my opinion, the Federal Reserve has gotten hell-bent on raising interest rates to a very restrictive level. So with that strong jobs report announced last week, a lot of people in the stock market are starting to reassess whether this stock market rally is really going to continue or not. And we're starting to see some key breakdowns in some technical areas. We'll get to that in a second. I also want to comment here in terms of how all this is snowballing and possibly creating the recession that everybody's been so much anticipating. You have about three or four big factors 
that are all working together against the economy. Okay, number one, wages are increasing. But at the same time, because inflation has gone up so much, especially in the last year, that the studies have come out and said that in spite of all these wage increases, the purchasing power has actually decreased to the extent where people are making less today than they did pre-pandemic. And along those same lines, and this is where I talked about the problem with corporate profitability, is because of all those wage increases, corporations are suffering a hit to their bottom line because wages are some 60% of their overall operating expenses. And because they can't find workers to fill the jobs, and because the ones that they can find, they have to pay so much, it means their worker productivity is going down. Higher wages, lower productivity means corporate profits suffer. And then along those same lines, because workers are losing their purchasing power, and we have the Federal Reserve not only with their monetary policy where they're raising interest rates to pull liquidity out of the system, they're also reducing their balance sheet, which is taking money out of the bond market as well, again, reducing liquidity. And when you add all those things together, corporate profits are not only going down because they have to pay workers higher wages and because productivity is decreasing and because they have higher borrowing costs. But in addition to all that, because workers have lost purchasing power and there's less money in the system, consumers are spending less money. And so to the extent that companies can sell their products and services, they have to sell it at a lower price, which is contracting their profit margins. So this is the overall cumulative snowball effect of how you go into a recession and why when you look at corporate earnings on charts where we've gone into recessions, you can see the corporate earnings just fall precipitously. I'm not predicting that's what's going to happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. But I point this out because you should keep an eye on that. Because if corporate profits fall, there's virtually no way that stock prices can go up or even stay at this level for that matter. Okay, and that takes us to the technical things that are currently going on in the charts. Since Friday, a lot of interesting things are happening. Let's start with the S&P 500. And what I'm saying about the S&P 500 is going to be a repeat of the other indices I talk about. But here we go. S&P 500 was looking like it was breaking out. It's had a great start to the new year. Its price dropped on Friday when that strong jobs report came out. And what's interesting is, is that it's back to the highs of December. That's important because for the market to move on and to be a true rally, it had to get above those December highs. Well, now it's back to that level. What's also important is that those December highs were significantly lower than the highs that we saw in August. So that meant that the December breakout was a failure because it didn't get as high as the prices did in August. And then the August breakout ended up being a failure because it never got as high as the prices had been back in April. And the April breakout had been a failure because the S&P 500 never got above the January high. That's why all of last year, the S&P 500 and the other indices all had a series of lower highs. The excitement was that as we started out this new year, the markets would start breaking above those old areas of resistance. Well, as of today, that's not the case because the S&P 500 is back to that failed breakout from December. And again, remember, important thing on this is that the December breakout was lower than the August breakout. If we move over and look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, we see a very same story with one exception. The Dow was the only of the major indices 
that actually did break out higher in December than it did in August. However, in these last six weeks or so, when all the other indices were doing extremely well, the Dow has been a laggard. And it lagged so much, in fact, that it never got back up to its December highs. And in fact, it only got up to those lower August highs of which it has now fallen down from. Also fallen down to the level where it's just now finding support at its short-term exponential moving average. From a short-term average basis, this is the only of the major indices that's that low. And this is important because, because the Dow is made up of the stodgy big stocks that are considered safe. You know, the big dividend payers, the companies that are very, very, very unlikely to go out of business. And so the fact that the Dow never got back to that December high, and also the fact that it's dropped down to its short-term exponential moving average, given the fact that it's really the safest place in the market, I think is real concern. Because if the Dow can't hold that level, then you have to wonder what's going to happen to the other more risky indices, and that would be the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000. Now, they've performed virtually the same over these last six weeks. They've had very strong breakouts. They broke out above their December highs. But again, neither one of them got back to the level that they'd seen in August. And their breakouts have been characteristic of some really typical junk stock type rallies. So think of the uh, terms like dead cat bounce, catching a falling knife, that type thing. You look at companies that were the big meme stock favorites most of which have fallen, you know, 60 to 90%. And then in recent weeks have had some really strong recoveries, but they're still way, way, way off their meme stock highs. And a lot of these companies should either be on the verge of bankruptcy or are in bankruptcy, something like, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond. It has had such spectacular movements from day to day. I mean, in any given day, it could be up or down 20%. Quite frankly, I think they should change their name to Bed Bath & Beyond Bankruptcy, because that would be truth in advertising. In any case, a lot of the stocks that are driving the rally in the NASDAQ and in the Russell 2000 are junk stocks, and I wouldn't be at all surprised to see this rally fade really quickly. So watch the Dow, and if it can't hold at its support levels, then I think you're going to see these more riskier assets fall even faster. And for those of you that are always asking why I don't talk about crypto and specifically why I don't talk about Bitcoin, well, for the most part, for a long time now, it's pretty much been generally correlating with the NASDAQ and with the higher riskier stocks. Now, its magnitude obviously is much more severe one way or the other. But again, pull up a chart and you'll see that its performance is not that much different than either the Russell 2000, the small caps, or the NASDAQ. Yeah, it's had a fantastic run over the last couple weeks. And it did break out above the high that it put in uh, in October, but it still fell short of getting as high as it had been back in August. So for me and my money, as they used to say in the old butter commercials, no difference. Hey, in any case, that's all the French I know. Watch the markets. We may see some interesting things happen. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.